Welcome to the TNT EdTech Podcast. We know tech. We are your hosts. I'm Scott, the teacher. And I'm Matthew, the tech coach. Welcome back, all my friends, to this podcast that never ends. It's the TNT EdTech Podcast, and we're glad that you came back to us this week for another great conversation. Uh, This episode, we have the one, the only, Matthew X. Joseph, a director of curriculum and instruction, and also the author of a book, of modern mentoring, uh, reimagining mentorship in education. So it's a really great conversation Scott has with Matthew Joseph on all things of leadership, support, being your authentic self, uh, mentoring leaders within your local school sites and community in education. So you definitely don't want to miss this episode. As we're getting started uh, with the episode, I did want to share a really interesting article. As we're doing distance learning, many of us are using some kind of video conferencing tool. If it's Zoom or Google Meet or Microsoft Teams, uh, there's just a wide variety of different tools out there. Well, I noticed for myself that I began feeling tired at the end of the day. uh, And I'm thinking, man, I am home, I'm working, I'm doing a lot of the we're using Microsoft Teams personally in our school district, but meeting with teachers, doing these virtual meetings and conferences uh, pretty much from eight to five throughout the day. And I was kind of wondering, I wonder if, is it just the fatigue of, you know, working at home or the conferencing? And there was a really good article by the BBC. They have a series called Remote control and i'll put the article it's the reason zoom calls drain your energy or video conferencing calls drain your energy so i'll put that article in our show notes but uh, it's kind of interesting some of the things it says being on a video call requires more focus than a face-to-face chat Uh, video chats mean that we need to work harder to process nonverbal cues like facial expressions the tone and pitch of our voice and the body language paying more attention to these consumes a lot of our energy our minds are together when our bodies feel we're not This disconnect, which causes people to have conflicting feelings, is exhausting. You cannot relax into the conversation naturally. And some of these conversations, there's somewhat of a, maybe even a 1 to 1.2 second delay. Um, Also, even to kind of get that uh, communication um, to kind of focus on. So it's a very interesting article. You definitely want to read this. So there is some, in the article, there is some ideas of how to uh, maybe work with this type of fatigue. And of course, I think we can kind of guess one of it is just, you know, limiting uh, how many video calls uh, that are necessary uh, that we have to participate in. Uh, some good advice in this is turning on the camera should be optional and in general should be more understanding that cameras do not always have to be on throughout each of the meetings. Uh, having your screen off to the side instead of straight ahead can also help your concentration, particularly in group meetings. I thought that was a good advice. And it also is when it comes to work, is there additional things that can be done? Can there be shared files? Can there be some clear notes 
uh, that can help with not having so much information overload in these video conferences uh, are some of those ideas as well. Also being mindful for us uh, to take a moment, to take periods of breaks to just refresh, stretching, you know, making sure we're drinking water, doing a bit of exercise, um, making sure we're reconnecting ourselves to the world out there uh, can help reduce some of that uh, fatigue. And uh, one other thing that I try to be mindful of is this 2020 rule. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but the 2020 rule is that every 20 minutes, spent looking at a computer screen or a digital screen, a person should look away at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds. That's a 20-20 rule. So every 20 minutes, look at something about 20 feet away for about 20 seconds. And that's uh, good for our eyes and just the computer screen uh, brightness and eye strain that we might have with being in front of a computer all day too. Um, also standing as much as you can. I know I've been doing that a lot more. Definitely have a headset with a long cord has been very helpful or even the Bluetooth or wireless headsets where you don't even have to be sitting. You can you can stand as well uh, when you're in those meetings. So just a couple things to be um, healthy and uh, socially and emotionally looking at that wellness as we're doing distance learning. So let's get into the conversation with Matthew Joseph now. Thank you. So Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, let our listeners know what it is you do exactly in education and why you're so passionate about what you do in education. Oh, th well, thanks for having me, Scott. I know that we've kind of crossed paths a lot online and now have a chance to at least talk um, in this platform and hopefully get a chance to meet in person um, someday. And currently, my role is the Director of Curriculum and Instruction in Leicester, Massachusetts, which is a school district about a half hour west of Boston. And I've been in this role for about a year. Uh, and then previous to this role, for about for three years, I was the Director of Digital Learning and Innovation um, in a school district, we are one-to-one, -one, about 4,000 students, um, and I had an opportunity to work at a district-level leadership. And to get ready for all of those experiences, I was a building principal for 11 years here in Massachusetts. I've been here in Massachusetts my whole career, uh, graduated from Pittsburgh High School all the way out in Western Mass, and then to Springfield College, and then ultimately to Boston College for my PhD in educational leadership, and have been in public schools since 1993, trying to support students and now currently supporting teachers and leaders to be the best they can. Wow, that's an amazing career. And I like that you stayed local. I'm really passionate about that myself. I've had opportunities to um, go teach or go do work elsewhere, but I've really honed in on being a pillar within my community i think it's important to give back and um especially where you have roots if you have roots and i've been in and around modesto california all of my life and so i'm really passionate about bringing my joys my passions to the area and i think it really needs it uh we're in an area where the schools are mostly title one and need funds and need support and access to things uh but they don't necessarily have it, whereas neighboring communities about 70 minutes away in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, they have much more access. 
Um, so I don't necessarily want to take my talent over there down to Southern California where there's some more opportunities. I want to kind of, you know, infuse what I know and, you know, um, make everybody a little bit better over here. Yeah, no, it's been great to, um, essentially stay in somewhat of a singular location. I was a teacher in Western Mass, but once I had the opportunity to be, have leadership positions, it was closer to Boston. And when I moved out here, um, started to make connections uh, in the principal world with MESPO, which is the Massachusetts Elementary School Principals Association. And that was actually the first kind of opportunities I had to start presenting. And I know you and I have talked about that. And it's about 15 years ago, really presenting at the state principals conference. And from there, it was, it became a passion of mine to support other leaders. Um, so staying locally, been able to do that. And a few of our organizations, MESPA, uh, MASQ, the technology organization, and most recently, MASED, um, the Association for uh, curriculum and development. So staying local has been able to not only help the districts I'm working in, help the local affiliates and organizations. Oh, that's great. And on our show, we had on Raina Friedman, who's the president of MassQ, at least she was at the time. Uh, I don't know if she currently is right now. I think she still is for the time being. Um, she's she had some things come up and so yes she has and and she is still the president um i actually spoke to her two days ago we were working collaboratively as a project because i'm on the board for mascd um so we speak fairly often through different organizations and she actually works at jordan jackson elementary school where um, a principal who studied under me um is the principal and he and i remain friends so we give her a hard time sometimes <laughs> no, that's great. We we absolutely loved having her on. And it's a small world. When I was in ISTE or at ISTE last year in Philly, after one of the evening socials, I went outside. My Uber ride wasn't really coming. They were in the same spot for forever, it seemed. And I saw Raina and I said, hey, do you have an Uber already? She said, yeah, it's like right there. And I said, hey, can I get a <laughs> ride with in. you? Yeah, and she's like, yeah, jump in. Uh, and I just love that. And I love that about educators, particularly those that we know within our PLN on Twitter. Uh, they're oh, so absolutely. passionate, so kind, so giving. Who who are some people? I know we know tons of people, but if you were to give some quick shout outs, some people others should follow during this time, during the COVID-19 pandemic slash crisis who would that be who would be some oh god you we could take up we could take up hours talking about it and no matter what how many people i tell you i'm going to leave off some great ones um, right as well but a few that i put up the other day that are really people that i go to for first are um, carl hooker is a not only a friend of mine but somebody who really is cutting a trail in in the field i found him to be incredibly real and helpful. Um, Monica Burns um, is somebody who really gives, shoots it straight. She's someone who looks at all levels of support online. And I think she does um, some fabulous work. Um, I'm a big supporter of FETC. Um, and there's not one singular person there, but if you go on the FETC thread, um, there's a lot of great support and, and also very friendly with the tech and learning leader. Um, 
they have a lot of not only online on Twitter, but they also have a newsletter that if you sign up for, has been giving you some amazing um, resources. So again, somebody to, to follow there. Uh, Education Never Dies is a new kind of thread that they've put together that running Twitter chats. And I think um, I have found that they have looked at the classroom side of it and then been doing some work with Culture Ed as well. So I think those are some bigger organizations. uh, And I wouldn't say organizations, it's groups of educators supporting each other. And then I'm going to just add one more that we were talking about before the show. Uh, Brett Salakis, I mean, he's he's a great guy, and he's doing a lot of things over in Australia. And I'm always amazed at just his poise and the ideas he shares when he is sharing. He's dynamic and a powerful speaker. Love that guy. Absolutely. Brett is is fabulous. And again, I, I could go on and on and, and I didn't want to take up. I didn't want to feel like I was on the Oscars. And at some point you were going to start playing. <laughs> you were going to start playing music. But I've made some great connections through through online work, through Twitter with people from other countries. Brett and, and Aussie Ed is, is fabulous. Um, they do a great job. They do Twitter chats. Um, another connection is Dan, Dan Summerall, Pondering Dan. Um, he also runs a, a podcast. They're not competitors, but just does some great work um, as well in Australia. And Rachel Lair, another great follow. She does um, primary STEM chat. And that's Thursday. I mean, for me, it's early. So for you out in the West Coast, it's probably middle of the night. But um, those are some great international follows um, if you don't follow them yet. No, those are great. And I like how you brought up other podcasts. I never think of other podcasts in terms of competing, even if we're both focusing on the same topic, like educational technology, even if we're coming at it from the same perspective, like having on guests uh, like we're doing right now, because our own unique individuality comes through in many different ways. And it makes each podcast a little bit different. I've uh, experience this with different people on the same uh, podcast network that I belong to uh, on podcast media, uh, which was started by Mo- Mike Washburn and Glenn Irvin from the On Education podcast. They have on guests and we've had on the same ones and the interviews are totally different. Uh, I noticed that, especially with Andrew Revelo at or you mentioned Monica Burns. We had her on the show, and she she was a little different, talking about the same things, but different on our show than she was on her own show or on other podcasts I've heard her on. So there's always something different. You can always add, and with somebody that's so deep and expansive as Monica Burns, there's always more to the story. There's always something new to learn. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Mike. Um, again, he and I met probably a year and a half ago and I was on their podcast before the last FETC. And I was sharing with you earlier that this summer had opportunity to go down and speak in Texas with Brett and Mike was there as well. So um, it, although it's a large you know, country and world, the, the connections run deep between people really close in the work that we're doing. And, and it is funny you say that. It, it, 
within one week and it whatever it was like two weeks maybe no maybe about a month ago when my book came out i was on a couple podcasts the um, leader of learning podcast by dan Krainix, i think you call his name Krainix. Krainix, yeah jo- um, and josh does the aspire podcast and kelly croy does i think it's the wired educator and i was on all three of them within a probably a 10-day span similar topics and each one was drastically different and it's great. And I, I really enjoy it because I get a lot out of it. Even talking here, we're talking about individual people to follow. And, and those are things we didn't talk about in any of the previous podcasts. So I think the more you do it, the more you have a chance to talk to people and the more you listen, um, I think each individual is going to take something away from it. Yeah, that that is so important uh, to note. Uh, And I like how you pointed out how kind of widespread we all are across the nation, world, but how tightly knit, like everybody kind of knows everybody in this educational community, yet there's plenty of room for more. I'm on the newer side. Uh, I didn't start getting connected until the summer of 2018, and just my professional learning network has uh, just overflowed with opportunities and connections. And before I forget, I want to get into your book, uh, Modern Mentor. So how did that come about? Well, um, kind of going back to, to, to my journey of where I am now, one of the things that I realized is every step of the way, there was somebody there that helped me get to where I'm at. I didn't just wake up and become this principal and then this district leader or this doctor of education. Somebody along the way, and it was multiple people, helped me to get through each step. And I started to see some success. I started to see myself being able to speak at these events and and publish articles. And I wanted to make sure that I gave back as well. So part of the study that I did at Boston College was how to enhance teacher job satisfaction. So I studied that for three years. And one of the biggest findings, and I won't get too deep into that here, but it was about interpersonal relationships. So digging into that, one of the things that teachers noted as increasing their job satisfaction is having a collaborative culture, which is actually the first book I wrote called The Power of Us. It's a collaborative culture. And the second piece to keeping teachers past their fifth year was having a strong culture of mentoring. So I actually met Mark Barnes at ASCD in Boston, and we just were chatting, having you know some great conversation. And I shared some of the ideas that I was trying to do to mentor aspiring leaders. And he asked me if I could expand on that. Um, and at that time, Susie Brooks, was the president of ASCD and Boston was hosting ASCD. And she and I started talking and I shared some of my ideas from the leadership lens and she shared hers from the teacher lens. And we said, well, if we can combine these, we have a full book here. And that's, that's kind of how that hatched and, and looking at mentoring, not just, you know, in our profession, you think of mentoring is your first year and some districts with a lot of money, maybe the first two years, But one of the things that we walked through in this book is mentoring from the first year teacher to the sitting principal and superintendent that we're seeing it now. You and I were just talking about the connections you make that creating a a mentoring mindset is essentially creating opportunities for you to learn and grow through other people. And that's really the basis of the book is finding ideas and strategies to support each other 
both in your first few years as a new teacher. And then, you know, midway through the book, it talks about them, you know, teaching an old dog new tricks of how do we keep that passion and fire burning in year seven to 10. Um, and then another piece of the book is that it's, it's amazing. And you, I know you have a new job, but one of the things in our profession is when you become really good at one thing, like a teacher, they put you in a totally different job, like a school leader, totally different jobs. And how do we create pathways for success for those people and individuals? So also looked at how to mentor aspiring and new leaders too, to keep that culture in the schools uh, moving forward. Wow. That is powerful. I just had to pause for a moment. There was so much good stuff there. Uh, I think generally there's a lot of conversation and things being done for those entry-level teachers that you talked about, preventing burnout, teachers from year one through five, keeping them in the profession, um, but not so much afterwards. It's like, okay, hey, you made it. You must be good, right? <laughs> right, and good luck and, and keep going. And I think in your new role, one of the things that you're going to see is such the drastic um, comfort level where teachers are with technology and in, in your capacity when you start working with them, veteran teachers are going to need some support. And it's okay. It's okay to look for help from other people. And I think if nothing else comes from the book is that that is brought into the, the school culture is that it's okay to get help from other people so that you continue to grow. Because at the end of the day, we're all in this for the kids that walk through the door and whatever it takes to get there. That's, that's for us to have. I mean, we look at the I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners are sports fans or, or musicians, but every single successful professional athlete has a coach. Every single successful actor has an acting coach. And, and why are we not mentoring teachers when they become successful to make them even better? And right. I think that was that was my basis that I, you know, I I was at Boston College, like I said, and I was, you know, I don't think I'm the strongest writer. So at 42 years old, I'm walking my dissertation into the writing center. And this, you know, 20 year old honor student looks up at me like, what are you doing here? I said, I need some help. Can you help me with this, this writing? And I think that's part of the mentoring process is being comfortable with knowing some of the things that you need help with. And, you know, and for you, when you step into that new role, or I know you have, um, that's going to be something I think when you build those relationships with the teachers is that you're seen as a resource and that's when the mentoring can, can take place. Now I'm glad you talked about the, the mentoring piece and the importance and also the, the transition. You're right. I'm going to need it at this point. <laughs> I'm about a week and a half into my new job going from an ELA teacher and, you know, really feeling like, okay, yes, I'm still on the newer side, but I'm killing it. I got it down and being in terms of being prepared for something like COVID-19, it's not that hard of a switch from my classroom perspective because we were already doing so much uh, student-centered learning and incorporating online tools that we have this rapport and this regiment that is easy to continue. Uh, we just finished up our spring break last week, so we were on pause but this week we're you know firing up again and then 
next week and more so the week after we'll be firing on all cylinders again and i feel very confident that in terms of the classroom we're going to be going but uh like you mentioned with the new tech coach role that i have uh i'm going to need to learn a lot (laughs) reach out and need some mentors and that was a factor when choosing uh this new job i really love where i'm at and one of the reasons why I love where I'm at currently is because we have a strong mentorship program. You get at least one mentor when you start at our site. Well, in our district, really, through our teacher induction program. But we have so many qualified mentors at my particular site that no matter who you get, you're going to get somebody that's absolutely stellar and patient, Uh I'm astounded at the patience of my mentor, Ryan Farina. He's not on social media at all. Otherwise, I'd give him a big shout out. <laughs> Have you guys all follow him? Uh, he, he's very low key. <laughs> he doesn't want the, the praise or accolades. But I continue to go to him, even for this new role. Like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? How should I approach this or that? And it, it's built this bond that's going to continue, even though... I'm in a new role and now it's neat. I'm running trainings that he's going to be a part of. He's going to be the participant and I'm going to be the lead. And so uh, that'll be cool. So it'll be me teaching him a little bit. Uh, Definitely not in terms of ELA, but with the ed tech stuff. And I have that with our, he's also our department chair and our other department chair, same kind of thing. And I, I think a big thing when, you're being mentored or mentoring someone else is this respect issue. It doesn't matter where you are in education or in terms of ability and skill, everybody has something to offer. And you find that through connecting. Um, What kind of strategies or things do you talk about in the book that helps people connect and realize um, you know, that everybody has potential and how to actualize that potential in your mentorees or your mentors. Sure. And I think this is going to, this answer is going to be twofold, one for your listeners and one for you, as you start to enter into your new, mm-hmm. in your, your new role that a lot of times a mentor or a coach in, in your capacity now comes in with the expertise with the background and the knowledge and they feel like, okay, I'm just going to share it all. Well, too often what we do to start is we tell the other person what to do. And right off the bat, you're inserting yourself too much that you start off as a listener because our role as a mentor is to really close the gaps that other people have and see the best way to do it. So as a mentor or coach in, in, in your current role is go in and see the individuals in their environment. Don't start mentoring in what you think is supporting on day one. Go into their classrooms, watch them teach, hear their cadence, hear, see their planning, because once you start giving feedback and support, you have a foundational knowledge of how teachers teach, how they plan, and they. you talked about respect earlier, that's how you're gonna gain respect. If you can give feedback based in what they're already doing, then they're going to see you as a support and not someone who's just telling them what to do. And the biggest thing there is to meet them where they are. And 
you know, sometimes taking one step forward is going to look different for each individual. And for somebody that might be going from step five to six, and some it might be from zero to one. And I think to build that respect, you have to know the person that you're supporting and to walk in their footsteps for a while. And then you'll start to fly together. Yeah. Wow. That that's powerful. And as you were talking about those steps and talking about listening more than telling, (laughs) um, wow, that's totally what my mentor did for me. And I've been in other fields, for example, before I got into teaching, I was a graphic designer and Mm -hmm. it was very much a, a top down initiative. I didn't have a mentor. And so when the economy tanked in 2008, I think a lot of my shortcomings came from that. And I definitely didn't have a PLN or a network. My network was very localized and it was very small. And so what I've done now is I've really learned from that lesson and broadened my network. Yes, I have a nice, uh, close-knit local network, but now I have an ever-expanding international network, which has really bolstered... uh, kind of the holes in what I don't know and what I need to know to be successful to really bring talent to my area. No. And I think that that's critical. One of the things that I share with, with new mentors, I often say to them, you know, be the navigator, not the pilot. And what I mean by that is, and I bet, I bet this is the same for you that our successes have come from making some mistakes and and learning, but if somebody's doing it for us, then we're not going to learn. So, help help somebody navigate their journey but but let them do it as them wow i'm writing that down because can you say that again i said be the navigator not the pilot be the navigator not the pilot and i liked what you said too with um i'm totally going to misphrase this but um helping others um be themselves rather than you know what you want them to be i totally rephrased what you said you said it much more eloquently well i always remember i'll just throw a a story in because it seems like this is the form to do it i think that's great for you for your show but i i was a young you know teacher and my teacher's aide was a retired golf pro from the army and i was learning to play golf and he would always say never cheat because you'll never know when you improve and and then he and then, and then I took that because like if I got a hundred and one and then I got a hundred the next day I'm like fired up because I'm excited because I actually achieved something even though it's a terrible score. Um, <laughs> and, but I also say for leaders, you know, once you start moving from the aspiring leader to, to leader, succeed and fail as you. Because I remember as a new leader, the superintendent was telling me what to do and pretty much running me around like a puppet. I was really young and you know, she wanted me to do it like her and it didn't work out. And I felt worse because it, I wasn't authentic. And I right. always try to tell people to succeed and fail as yourself, because then you really know, going back to the golf thing, you really know if you're making those improvements because you're doing it as yourself, you're being authentic and you're moving forward at your pace. Right. You're absolutely right. And I know one of our mutual friends, Tara Martin, uh, talks about, being real and she has that book be real in which she talks about having that authentic voice and if you don't have it 
people will see through that your students will your staff and it's just not going to work out uh it doesn't work so well being puppeteered and i i've heard it said that the things you were hired for are the things that'll get you fired even if worst case scenario you lose your job over some mistake you made you can always work towards getting another one it's not the end of the world it is crushing and i feel for those that are getting laid off my own dad got laid off right now uh he works in silicon valley and he commutes and uh you know he's not in one of those essential areas and so he's been laid off it's tough i feel for people who have both spouses or uh many people in their household who are laid off and not able to work or out of work uh beforehand and now can't get their stimulus check or any of that uh it's so difficult but uh hang in there it gets better (laughs) Yeah, Um, just keep fighting the good fight and be yourself find something you love yeah because i think and and first of all sorry to hear about your your dad and any of the thank you people in his his field that 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 happened to but i think the authenticity in the education field is that you start to build who you are and then that becomes when people see you they recognize that person and and you had talked about in, in interviews that you know i did a lot of hiring in my 11 years as a principal and the one thing that if somebody had a had a great interview and then a different person showed up because they just did that for the interview it didn't work out so great but i have hired many people who have had some gaps in their skills because they came in they were authentic and the, the things that they needed support with we could train them and that was a that was a big help. And I think, you know, not to dive back into the mentoring piece or into the support role that you're in, when teachers are authentic and what they need supported, then you can create a plan to support them and they can reach their goals. So that is definitely something that as we continue to look forward in our own in our growth, in our profession's growth, is being that authentic self really puts us in a position to grow and again going back to one of the things i said we're all in this to support the pre-k-12 learners that were hired to to teach right and for me wow now i'm going from just secondary at the high school level to supporting all learners from tk all the way through high school that's going to be a challenge and it's a big <laughs> i'm gonna need to ask yeah right Right. I'm responsible uh, partially for uh, the learning that needs to happen with educational technology tools Uh, for 30,000 students. I don't take that job lightly, and I'm blessed to have great support staff uh, in my new department. Uh, Mike Rich, my new boss, uh, he's fantastic. Thankfully, I knew him a little bit through conferences and um, different interactions, him coming into my classroom and things like that, doing trainings. Uh, he he knows a lot more than me, and he's going to be able to support me. And like you, he went through uh, the teaching role up to like a principalship, and now he's uh, what is he? He's he's a director of curriculum and instruction, kind of. That's not the official title, uh, 
instruction and PD, I think. And there's a couple of them up there at that level. We just reworked uh, the structure up at the top levels in the district. So I need to become a little more familiar with those titles. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a definite mindset shift. And when you're in the classroom, you have a direct connection to student learning, a one-to-one connection. You're in the classroom, you're teaching, you're having that direct connection. You're now one step away from that. Your connection is not a direct connection to, to students. You're essentially going through a teacher to support that person to help student learning. And the further away you get, the harder it is. And you have to continue to shift your, your leadership. You know, when I went to be a principal and then into central office, I'm now three steps away. So each step of the way, you have to kind of shift your leadership and your support. And I think going back about five minutes, this is where the authenticity comes in. That if you're the same person, you're easy. it's easier to shift some of what you do and pivot than to totally change. Right. I like how you talked about shifting your leadership and your support um, and remaining your authentic self. I, I think especially with staying more localized too, people really get a sense of who you are, get a feel for who you are, and they know, hey, Matt stands for this or Scott stands for this. This is what he's capable of. This is uh, what he's brought to the table in the past. And here's what we can come to expect from his leadership. I think that's really important. Something you talked about briefly uh, in your different roles was hiring. And yes. it made me think like, hey, I just went through this interview process. I I had a few different interviews for some different positions this last school year. And I thought, wow, it, it gave me such a great perspective of gaps in my own skills like hey i need to brush up on this this is what employers are looking for what kind of pro tips do you have from being on the other side of the interview um, for our listeners anyone that's looking to kind of level up or make a shift uh well a few things one i think know yourself know that know the strengths that you can bring one of the one of the shortcomings I see a lot of times in interviews is you'll go in and you'll regurgitate the job description. You'll just tell the people the, the tasks that you would do in that role. Well, they knew that before you walked in the door. What are you doing to separate yourself from the other candidates? What is it that makes you special to fit into to their culture? And which leads into my second tip is study the districts. I've been a principal in two different districts. In one district, we had 56% free and reduced lunch. In the second district, we had 1%. So having the same answers as a principal wasn't going to work. So I had to study the district, know what the needs were, and then talk about how I would you know, bring my style and enhance what that school was doing. And we're really bad in our profession at selling ourselves because it comes off as bragging. And I'm not saying you should go into an interview and brag, but what you should do is be confident in the things that you've accomplished. And in that, tie it to how that's gonna help a school. And it's okay to say some of the successes you've had, you have as long as it's talking about how you're gonna move that school forward. So I think one, know yourself, two, know the district, and then in your interview, don't just do don't just 
use education speak. Go in, be yourself, and say how you're going to enhance that school or district, depending on the role. And to piggyback off of the last part, like talking about yourself and your accolades and accomplishments, a pro tip for our listeners, something I do, and I I don't remember who I got it from, uh, but it's been very impactful in my own set of interviews, is I've created a list of accomplishments and accolades, Mm -hmm. and I update it every so often. So when I earn an award or do something that's noteworthy, I add that. So the podcast being one and, you know, uh, keeping up on that very, fairly frequently about every month, I kind of update or look and maybe tweak some things. That way it's current because you never know when a job's going to pop up. Uh, My job, uh, they posted it and then it was open for about a week and then it closed down. So I had to move fast and I was hustling and uh, I am so grateful for my PLN because a bunch of people jumped in and wrote excellent letters of recommendation for me, which helped. And I think that made me stand out, not only having local letters of rec, but also having some national ones as well. That made a big difference. So really leverage your national and international PLN as well, if you can. Absolutely. And and really bring your flavor to it as well. How are you going to do it different? Right. Yeah, through your authentic self. Yeah, that's important because they're they're hiring you. And don't be afraid to tell your story, whatever that is. I think of it as like a brand, kind of bridging between my graphic and web design background with my educational background. Uh, You need to have a clear, consistent message and be able to deliver that to... uh, you know, your audience, whoever that is, whether it's on a podcast in an interview in a speech, uh, you need to make sure you convey yourself as strongly and as succinctly as possible. Absolutely. Because another thing, not that, not that you asked, but just to continue on this thread is that during the interview, you're also interviewing the people in the room. And I would, I would never come on your show or any, any, place and say, don't take a job. If you need a job, like get a job, do what you need to do. But at the same point is if it's not a great fit and you go into that district and it totally goes against who you are as a person and as a teacher, you're going to be miserable. Like it's going to be, you're not going to want to go to work. You know, as I said, I did a lot of work in job satisfaction is you got to find the right fit for you too. And that's where you're really going to flourish. Right. I think that's really important advice. And thankfully, I had heard that before. And I took that advice. There was a position that came up. And, uh, you know, I I did really well during the interview process. And I decided, you know what, this really isn't for me. You know, I asked some really good questions. I interviewed the place. on top of them interviewing me and I decided, you know what? Uh, I really like where I'm at better. So I stayed. Yeah. And I think that, I think that goes to the the whole job satisfaction thing is that again, if there, if you need a job and you're out of a job, take the job that's offered to you. But if you have the opportunity, make sure it fits because 
that's where you're going to see the long lasting relationship between a professional and a school district is when the culture and the vision match the individual. Right. And Eric Qualman, um, he's like a public speaker on Twitter. You can find him at equal man. And he says that the time for a PLN is before you need it. And that was a mistake I made in graphic design and web design. I didn't have that PLN before I needed it. And I looked to establish it only when I needed it. But there wasn't this kind of proof of purchase, if you will, beforehand. Like these people didn't know my work. And even though I had some portfolio work out there, they're like, ah, there's other people that have similar portfolios. What really makes you different? And people tend to go with who they know. Right. Uh, if if given the choice, you know, if they have some trust and a vested interest in somebody else versus a similar candidate that they really don't know, particularly if they're coming from the outside, they're going to go with uh, the known person. So getting yourself out there and broadcasting yourself, especially in this digital age, it's really important. And having a PLN can help you out. I've heard so many stories from uh, different people in my PLN that have gotten jobs or gigs from people in their PLNs uh, because of their connections, because they knew the right people. It's like, hey, I, I know you and what you can do. Um, like if I wanted a speaker on leadership, I would know, hey, I could come to Matthew now and we got to find a way to get him to California. Then we can finally link up in person. I'm in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, squad goals as I tell my kids I guess that hashtag is like so old uh, but they laugh and so I still use it (laughs) awesome Uh, as we're kind of finishing up here I know uh, before we started conversing today we had talked about like the importance of everything that's going on right now I do want to talk about what's going on with the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. What are just like general thoughts about that? Like, what can we do? What should we be doing? Well, I think the one thing, since we're all in this together, and and sadly we are, I'm not saying that in a very rah-rah cheerleader way, we're all, all in this together. So we have to support and pick each other up. This is not a time to show off your tech skills and to show how many spreadsheets you can make. Um, It's also not a time to create a buffet of resources. And what I mean by that is we'll get overwhelmed with people trying to share all the great resources. So I think to flip it around, what are things we should be doing is just reaching out to people. One, are you okay? What can I do to help you out? What do you need? It kind of goes back to what do you do to earn respect when you're starting that relationship that Sometimes people just need you to listen. Like your dad lost his job and maybe that you need to get that off your chest before you start worrying about learning Padlet. And I think remembering the human side of this profession is the first thing we have to do. You might be, you might have a student whose mom's a nurse and they're living with grandma because mom comes home every night and is worried. You think that kid cares about checking Google Classroom? Yeah, I don't think so. So I think the first thing is really remember the human side of this profession and 
we got into this to help kids and help students and help leaders, you know, whatever role where you started. And that's got to be the foundation. Um, from there, find a few things you do well and then do those. What I mean by that is, you know, in my district, we talk about the core four. It's Edpuzzle, it's Newzella, it's Flipgrid. And we use these in Google, we use the, in Padlet, sorry, those are the four ones. And we use these to support teachers. I'm running online PD each week, one tool a week, and then I'm gonna start over. And I'm not sending 50 things out every week, I'm sending one, and then we're gonna dig deep into it. Um, so that's the second thing is find a few things you do and do them really well. Um, and then the third thing is find time for yourself to grow as well. Like this is, this is new. And what are some things that you're doing to grow as a professional? It could be just logging onto Zoom or Google Meet for the first time. Like that could be growth for somebody. For me, it's been trying to develop a virtual professional development site. So, you know, not in a shameless plug, but if you go to MXJ Speaker, which is my website, one of the things I've added this week is virtual PD. It's something I've never done before. So I also want to take this time to learn and grow um, as a professional because I, you know, missed out on a few events that I was supposed to go to, but I also am driven by supporting other people. So how can I combine that? So those would be my three. You know, remember the human side of why we're in this profession, do a few things and do them really well. And then how are you going to grow during this time? Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And I could relate to uh, the inundation of resource after resource online. While it's coming from a really good place, it's not focused and it's hard to filter what you need because there's so much uh out there and it comes from a really great place and i like how you've kind of put your own spin on that you have your own kind of virtual pd site that people can come to and see some of that content and you could still share it out on twitter but it's a little more compartmentalized it's not like you're you're showering right. masses uh, with it, but hey, how are you doing? Starting there, I I really like that, and that's that's going to be my big takeaway from this. When we get off this call, I'm going to make sure that I do that, and I know some <laughs> of my uh, friends are hopping on nightly calls via Zoom. My buddy Paul Gordon, uh, I think he's episode four on our podcast. He has this cool thing called Pizza or Midnight Pizza. How could I forget? Uh, and we go from 10 until 12 midnight uh, Pacific Standard Time every day and chat. Uh, it's been great, but I want to make sure tonight that I really hop on and maybe not share so much, but really listen and try and support those because there are people that are, you know, just really going through a lot. And I like how a moment earlier you also brought up uh, – you know, kids with parents that are in the medical field, my wife's in the medical field. And, oh, it has been so stressful. And with the shortages of masks, um, it leads me to the last part. One thing I'm passionate about doing on break is using my 3D printers to print face shields. Now, I'm kind of tweaking 
that right now. I haven't officially donated any yet, but people have. Matter Hackers is great. They're compiling hospitals, um, kind of techies, and uh, those with 3D printers like myself and crowdsourcing and using those those facilities and those printers to print these face shields for uh, hospitals that need wow, that's pretty it. So there's, yeah, there's approved designs that you can download, try and format, and then um, you send them in and donate. So if anybody wants to jump on that, uh, make sure you find Mara Hinter at Matter Hackers. Um, let me look up her her code real quick. Um, she is at 3DP Girl on Twitter, and she's my go-to for that. So once I'm ready to go, and I know I can consistently produce these 3D printed face shields, I want to get those out there because awesome. uh, we really do need them. <laughs> I'm getting the insider knowledge, at least in California. We, we need them, and we need them bad. Um so you can really make a difference by doing that. And honestly, if you don't have a 3D printer, it's not that hard and it's not that expensive. A couple hundred bucks for a printer, 20 bucks for some filament, and you can print out a few dozen of these face shields uh, just by watching some YouTube videos. And I would be willing to help you out. I know my buddy Jesus Huerta, who was also on the show, Jesus1979 uh, on Twitter, uh, and Paul Gordon as well, all of us would be willing to help you out and, you know, plug you into some machines and how to get going on that fairly quickly. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive, I have to say. Yeah, we'll see how it turns out. Right. <laughs> Has a lot of potential to do a lot of good. Uh, I'm still like in the intermediate stages of doing it and just being bogged down by work. At the end of the day, I don't want to touch a computer. I just right, want to I'm hold sure. and play with my kids. There you and go. So I've been doing a lot of that. The human side of it. That's important. Yeah. A lot of family walks. There's been many blessings. Like we're potty training the youngest one. <laughs> awesome. It's like, hey, we're, we're working on this thing that needs to be taken care of. We've been exactly. trying to do it for a while. And now there's two of us at home for the most part uh, when my wife's not at work. So uh, that's been pretty great. Well, thank you so much for being on, Matt. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait until we connect in real life. Yeah, I look Is forward there, to like, it. Is there like one last piece you want to leave our, our listeners with? Like one last little kernel of knowledge? <laughs> um, I would say set your goals high enough so people laugh at them. And I think when you do that, you really set good goals. And I say that because... Four years ago, I was asked to be on our my college, Springfield College um, alumni board, and we make goals every year. And it's a six-year term. And they said, well, what's your goal? I said, well, at the end of my six-year term, I want to be the commencement speaker at graduation. And everyone's laughing. And they're like, ah. And at that point, I had no articles. I had no nothing, you know, besides some of the accomplishments and individually. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to do that, but to do that, I have to make a difference in this field. And in the past four years, I've published over 30 articles, spoken across the country and published two books. And again, I didn't do it because people laughed at the goals. I did it because I want to make my goals so lofty that somebody else snickers a little bit, because then you're really making goals that you can push yourself 
to either reach or get pretty darn close. Because I think no matter if I'm the commencement speaker at Springfield College in two years or not, I've done something in this field over the last four years to make a difference. Right. And, you know, I'll second your accomplishments. What you've been able to accomplish in that amount of time is definitely nothing to laugh at and certainly noteworthy. I know it's had a positive effect on myself and those in my PLN. And I can only imagine, uh, you know, locally as well, and those in your PLN, how much everyone's benefited and uh, your kindness and your genuineness uh, abound in our conversations. And I really appreciate you just from one educator to another. And thanks for being on. It means a lot. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I also want to walk the walk and to all your listeners, and this isn't a shameless plug. I can't write a book about mentoring and then not put myself out there that if you need anything, if you have support, feel free to email me at drmatthewxjoseph at gmail.com and happy to answer questions. Connect with me on Twitter, MatthewXJoseph, that I'm happy to help you out and bounce some ideas. Uh, The only caveat is I'm going to ask you for some help too. So it's a two-way street. (laughs) no i i love it and you know we're better together for sure and uh let's keep up the conversations i I love it all right well thanks for having me Thank you for listening to the TNT EdTech Podcast. You can follow us on any podcast player of your choice. Also on Twitter at TNT EdTech. Follow us on the web at www.tntedtech.com. TNT EdTech Podcasts are powered by Q and a member of the Family of Fine Podcasts on the Unpodcast Media Network. Helping explain education one podcast at a time. Visit Unpodcast Media Network of Podcasts at unpodcastmedia.com. We're also sponsored by the nonprofit Q. Q inspires innovative learners by fostering community, personalizing learning, infusing technology, developing leadership, and advocating educational opportunities for all. Visit Q at Q.org.